And welcome back to Bengal Bites, a podcast about the Cincinnati Bengals from a real, raw, unfiltered perspective. I'm your host, Derek. This is episode 27, the Week 12 recap against the Pittsburgh Steelers, which turned out to be a cold, damp, miserable 16-10 loss in Jake Browning's first start as a quarterback in the NFL, but this is also the Bengals' first game without star quarterback Joe Burrow at the helm. So the questions were mounting about how is the team going to look without the engine that was driving this thing from the beginning. This is episode 27, and it's amazing. I've recorded more episodes of this podcast than the Cincinnati Bengals had running the football on Sunday. They only had 25 yards rushing. I've had 26 podcasts already. This is episode 27, so we'll get into all the deficiencies on both sides of the ball that the Bengals had offensively and defensively in this game. If I were a Bengals fan, I'm glad I watched this game at home from the comfort of my own home, my nice warm couch. I was dry. I'm not going to tell other fans what to do, but I wouldn't be surprised if more Bengals fans made the decision to watch the game on TV from the comfort of their home as the season continues to go on. The weather gets colder and colder here, and the team is getting worse and worse every week, it seems like. But let's stick with this week for right now and just deal with the pain that we face which there were some moments in this game that were unbelievable. I was literally like screaming in disbelief. I couldn't just believe my eyes at what I was seeing in this game. So we're going to have to go through all of that quickly. Briefly, we'll touch on everything that we saw and try to forget it and move on to the next week as soon as possible. If you're brand new to this podcast, go back and check out episode zero where I explain more about who I am, why I'm making this show. But basically, I'm a former college football player Longtime fan of the Bengals, and I wanted to make a show from an outsider's perspective. There's a lot of shows that are produced by the Bengals or people who are beat writers, and they want to tell you, you know, lots of optimism and tell you how great everything's going to be. But this is where the times get tough, and they're not going to tell you the real story about what's going on. So I wanted to give you a real honest perspective about this season. If you caught the previous episode, episode 26, that was where we did the preview for this game against the Steelers. We talked about the big storylines going into the game were not only Jake Browning making his first start at quarterback, but also the Steelers had fired their offensive coordinator, Matt Canada. We expected maybe some new offensive wrinkles from the team. And unfortunately, the Steelers, you know, they got that bump that we were kind of expecting. A lot of times when you see a coordinator fired from a team, obviously the guy who's coming in, he's coach who's taking over has got lots of motivation. The players on that side of the ball, maybe they didn't like the coach. Maybe they'll play harder for the other coach. You don't know. But making changes, it didn't seem like a good sign for the Bengals. And this was true. The Steelers broke one of the longest active streaks. They had gone 58 consecutive games without surpassing 400 total yards of offense. Unfortunately, the Bengals let them break this streak the Steelers gained a total of 421 yards of total offense in this game, including Kenny Pickett throwing for a season-high 278 yards against the Bengals' defense. Bengals' defense couldn't really stop anything. Bengals' offense couldn't really get much together in this game. We also talked about how the weather might play a factor in this game, and it was cold and rainy, but it could have been worse, honestly. It, didn't, it seemed like the rain kind of let up after the beginning of the game, there may have been a few sprinkles here and there, but I didn't see too many players like dropping the ball or having trouble handling the ball, slipping, anything like that. It didn't seem like the rain or the moisture played too much of a factor in the passing game. One of the things I talked about in previous episodes was going to other teams' YouTube channels and Twitter channels and other media content to get the other side of the story. You know, I always see the Bengals media and they're always telling me how good the players are and how good the Bengals coaches are and all that stuff. But I wanted to see it from the other perspective of the other team, what they think about the Bengals. Obviously the Bengals, you know, Dave Lapham is always constantly telling me how the Bengals have like the strongest roster in the league and how like this front to back, this team is so good and like so deep at every position. They're like, they got the best quarterback. They got the best offensive line. They got the best running backs. They best this, the best that. Everything is the best apparently on the Bengals. If you listen to the Bengals media. So I had to get out of that bubble. I bit the bullet and I had to go and watch some Steelers content. As much as I hate the Steelers, I had to do it for the team. I had to take one for the team, as they say, and I watched some Steelers. The thing that jumped out to me about 
the Steelers interview. Ugh. It's just the thought of watching the Steelers is making me sick to my stomach right now. But I had to go, I had to go watch the Mike Tomlin show and uh, interview with TJ Watt and Cam Hayward in the locker room. And the biggest thing that they mentioned was stopping the Bengals running attack. They were like, we have to stop Joe Mixon, have to stop the run because we know Jake Browning is making his first start in the NFL. They're going to try to establish a run, so we need to do a good job of preventing them from running. The Steelers were saying that in every interview. Mike Tomlin said that. He's the head coach. The defensive coordinator was saying that. All the coaches, players, everybody on the Steelers knew coming into this game, stop Joe Mixon. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Joe Mixon had eight carries for 16 yards. So 16 total yards of rushing for Joe Mixon. Two yards of carry. Totally ineffective. Jake Browning only added nine yards on three carries. He had a long of six. Joe Mixon had a long of four rushing yards on the day. That's their, so their longest rush was basically on a QB draw by Jake Browning for six yards. Pitiful. Pitiful. I don't know what other words I can use to describe it. I mean, we'll get into this after the game, but like Zach Taylor was saying, well, well, we didn't run that many plays, so we only had 25 rushing yards. I don't care how many plays you're in. In an NFL game, running for 25 yards of total offense, completely ridiculous. But that's, you know, that's what it's this cat and mouse game of they know that I know that you know that I know that you know, and back and forth. Like the Bengals knew that the Steelers were going to try to stop the run. The Steelers knew that the Bengals knew that they were going to try to stop the run. So it's the Bengals' responsibility, even though, you know, everybody in the whole stadium knows what's going down, it's the Bengals coaches and players' job to make it happen. And they just couldn't do it. It's just mano a mano, scheme against scheme, whatever it was, Bengals got utterly defeated. And even though the score was close, they lost by six points. They got a late field goal just at the very end. It was a nine-point lead for the Steelers. Honestly, the Steelers probably should have and arguably could have scored a lot more points in this game. They gained twice as many yards as the Bengals did. The Bengals were lucky that they forced a turnover by the Steelers in the red zone. Steelers could have had a lot more points in this game. Bengals were honestly lucky to keep it this close. And overall, I would say, even though they lost, this was about as good a performance as I would have expected from the Bengals in this game, honestly. I did not expect anything more than this. I thought they were going to lose this game without Joe Burrow. That's exactly what they did. Going forward, you know, they're asking Zach Taylor, how are you going to keep the team motivated? I don't know. If I were a player on this team, I wouldn't be motivated. Like I said, if I were a fan, I wouldn't be going to any more of these games. I'd be selling my tickets. If, you know, the next game at home is a Colts game, I would expect to see a lot more Colts fans in the stands or just no fans at all. This game was not a sellout. This had 99%. There was 65,000 fans in attendance. That's a little bit below the maximum capacity. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was just like a fake number that they put out. And it was probably more like 95% attendance. But the point is like, if you're a fan, you want to go with some expectation that your team is going to have a chance to win the game. And with this team, with this coaching staff, this game plan, and Jake Browning at quarterback... I don't have confidence that they can win any games. So if I were a Colts fan, I'd be buying up those tickets on Ticketmaster. It's a short drive from Indianapolis to Cincinnati. Like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of Colts fans in the stands. But let's get into the game itself. This game was on CBS with Ian Eagle, Charles Davis, and Evan Washburn, meaning that they still got a couple of competitive teams because those are some of the better announcers for CBS. Bengals came into the game at 5-5, five and five, still 500. And Steelers came in at 6-5. and five. Normally, before the game and in pregame, they'd be hyping up the battle between the two quarterbacks, Joe Burrow against Kenny Pickett. Well, in this case, obviously, Joe Burrow is out for the season. He's not going to be the story going forward, so it's going to be the first start of Jake Browning as quarterback. That's, you know, the only really interesting thing you could play up for this game. And it's kind of like you don't know what it's going to be. You expect that the backup quarterback isn't going to be as good as the starter. Otherwise, he would be the starter, of course. But you say, okay, well, he's kind of like a mystery box. You don't know what's going to be inside. Maybe he's going to be bad. Maybe he's going to be good. Maybe he could be Joe Burrow. You don't know. Maybe Joe Burrow's in that box. Well, we opened up the box on Sunday and we found out that he's a lot like what we saw in the preseason. Not that good. Uh, taking bad sacks. 
He can throw on time. He throws a nice spiral sometimes, but his arm is not strong. His hands are not big, so when he gets sacked, he fumbles. He's not that great of an athlete, even though they told us he was sneaky athletic and all this kind of stuff. He didn't really make that much happen with his feet. So, yeah. But, you know, you just had to find out. You, you, you never know. Maybe this guy could be the next Tony Romo or something like that. Probably not. But, and, you know, and that's why he didn't start in the beginning of the season. We all knew that then and we all know that now. But we just had to find out, didn't we? We just, we needed to know. And we're going to get to find out a lot more as the season goes on. But as a, as a start goes, you know, it could have been worse. It was okay. He didn't have the worst game ever. A lot of it was luck, honestly. He got really lucky a couple times. Because uh, some of those passes should have been intercepted. The Steelers had their hands, like, all over him. And they went for, like, catches for the Bengals. It was a ridiculous game. Probably should have lost by a lot more points. But... Right before the opening kickoff, they do the ruler of the jungle thing in Pecor Stadium. This game, they had Domata Peko, who's a former defensive tackle, doing the ruler. I mean, they're kind of getting low on the totem pole for ruler of the jungle already. You'd think it was kind of a prestigious thing. We already got players from like five seasons ago coming back. I would say, are they going to bring back A.J. McCarron as the ruler of the jungle? But he's got to be in uniform as the backup quarterback. But okay, enough. I've been stalling too much because I don't want to talk about this game. I know. Okay, so the game kicks off. Steelers get the ball first. As they usually do, the Bengals decide to wait until the second half to receive the second half kick. Bengals love to do that. Steelers get the ball first. First play of the game. The Steelers complete a 24-yard pass deep up the middle, straight up the middle to Pat Fryermuth. Logan Wilson, the Bengals linebacker, was playing deep over the middle, and he turned and ran and opened his hips the opposite direction of Pat Fryermuth for whatever reason. Kenny Pickett just read Logan Wilson in the middle of the field, saw where his hips were pointed through the opposite direction. Easy completion. And they It seemed like they were picking on Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt and the Bengals linebackers and safeties a lot today. They were taking advantage of a lot of over-the-middle passes. Pat Fryermuth had a career-high 120 yards receiving in this game. He had nine catches on 11 targets for 120 yards. He was their leading receiver. He's been on injured reserve for most of the season, but you know maybe that was part of the reason why the Steelers' offense hadn't been that great up until this point in the season, but they fired their offensive coordinator. They got Pat Frymuth back. Whatever it was, the Steelers got things going. Luckily for the Bengals on this first drive, though, they were able to stop the Steelers and force a punt. Deontay Johnson caught a pass in the left flat, and Mike Hilton, who played for the Steelers previously, made the stop. It was kind of a weird play where he missed the tackle initially, but then Deontay Johnson like stumbled and ran five yards backwards for some reason, and then Mike Hilton tackled him again. So he missed the tackle once, got him on the second try. Five-yard loss. The Steelers, they were in Bengals territory when they punted it, and they could have pinned the Bengals deep. But on the punt, the Steelers' coverage team, the guy ran into the end zone and then jumped up into the air and tried to hit the ball while he was like midair back out into the field of play. It obviously doesn't work. You can't do it like that. You can't be standing in the end zone and then just because you're in the air when you touch the ball and throw it back out, that doesn't mean that it's not a touchback. It was a touchback, so the Bengals got it at the 20-yard line. Pretty dumb play by the Steelers guy. A bad punt, I guess. But Bengals got fortunate they didn't get pinned. That would have been especially bad for Jake Browning for his first drive in this first game to be like from the two-yard line behind his own, own goal line. It was lucky that they got it on the 20. I, you know, if he had gotten sacked and taken a safety or something right at the first drive of the game, that would have been, you know, taking the Bengals out of it almost immediately. So it was lucky, it was good that they were able to at least get the ball in some kind of decent field position to start with, even though it was their own 20. When the Bengals took over, they tried to do this strange six offensive linemen personnel package. They had their normal five offensive linemen, and then the Bengals also had a sixth offensive lineman, number 61, Cody Ford. He is like the backup tackle. He kind of came out and played a extra tight end or something like that, but the Steelers, they obviously see, oh, they've got extra big guys out here, so they committed to coming up close to the line of scrimmage you know, knowing that it's going to be some kind of a 
play action pass or a run or something like that. They had all of the Bengals figured out on this first drive and forced the Bengals to stop using this package. They only played Cody Ford for five plays. I think two of them were in this first series. This whatever plan they had of like using this extra offensive lineman because they they've done that in the past with Akeem Adeniji with some success, I guess you could say. But Cody Ford is like totally immobile. He's not able to move at all. I mean, he's not any different than most of the Bengals' offensive linemen, honestly. Like, Bengals have one of the least athletic, slowest, least mobile, agile offensive line groups in the entire NFL. They're all kind of, unfortunately, built this way. So Cody Ford, he can't really do anything. He was, you know, he was okay, but the Steelers had like 10 guys stacked into the box. They call, how many guys do you have in the box? If it's a light box, there'd be like, six defenders close to the line of scrimmage in the inside the tackle boxes the Steelers were putting eight nine in on the first play or the second play of the game the Steelers had 10 guys inside the box they literally all packed in and then one safety was back deep but pretty much as soon as the ball snapped the safety came down because he saw it was a run play safety came down Steelers basically had 11 guys their whole defense all within five yards ready to tackle Joe Mixon as soon as he got the ball Obviously, that only went for a three-yard gain. The next play, T.J. Watt beat Jonah Williams around the corner. Strip sack on Jake Browning for a six-yard loss. This is a play where the, the Bengals, they kind of, the Bengals' plan was weird on offense because on the one hand, they knew that they had to protect Jake Browning. So they left all these extra guys in to protect him. But when you leave all these extra guys in to protect, like Irv Smith Jr. and Drew Sample, they're two tight ends, that just means they only had three wide receivers running downfield to get open. And the Steelers had lots of guys to cover them. Jamar Chase was obviously double covered. Tyler Boyd, not, not open. Andre Yosivash, not open. And so they just didn't have anywhere to go with the football. Jake Browning was standing back there, sitting duck, didn't have any way to get out, couldn't scramble. TJ Watt beat two Bengals blockers. He went past Irv Smith and he went past Jonah Williams. After about five seconds, he finally got to Jake Browning and sacked him for a strip sack. I mean, Jake Browning has to know, you know, five seconds. You can't be standing back there with five seconds and not expect T.J. Watt to come in and strip sack you. So a little bit, you know, it's his first series of the game. Maybe he was getting used to the speed of the game. But he just slow reaction, slow decision-making by Jake Browning all day. It was weird, you know, because they say, oh, it's his first game. Yeah, but he's been in the NFL for five years now. Like, he's he's seen, maybe he hasn't seen it in real life and I don't know how many games he's going to see after this if he keeps taking hits. But just the, the processing, the mental speed needs to increase with Jake Browning. He did it a little bit in this game, but we're going to have to see a lot better out of Jake Browning. And the game plan on third down, like he, he needs to have somewhere to go with the football. He needs to have better answers. I don't know what the answers were supposed to be for Jake Browning because everybody was covered and he was just getting pressured and didn't have anywhere to go. Bengals basically go three and out on their first drive, punt it away back to the Steelers. It's still 0-0 at that point. And no, at least they didn't take a safety, like I said. It could have been worse. The strip sack, the ball was out there. Jonah Williams picked up the ball, tried to run with it. He didn't get anywhere. But, you know, the Steelers could have fallen on the ball right there, running into the end zone. Who knows? Again, fortunate for the Bengals that it wasn't worse. Could have been worse. After the punt, Steelers take over. They take a long time to get going on this drive. They get sacked. Trey Hendrickson gets a nice eight-yard sack on a first and 10. That moves him back. But then Steelers, third and 13, complete a 29-yard pass. Again, deep over the middle to Fryermuth. Picks up another first down, gets it down to the Bengals' 33-yard line. And already early in the game, we're hearing these Muth chants, which is, you know, you get the terrible towels in Paycor Stadium. You got the fans chanting Muth. It's kind of like how when we went to Tennessee, and T caught some passes. You could hear some T chants coming from the crowd. But T's from Tennessee. His name is in like that Titans stadium. So he was like the Tennessee Mr. Football a couple times. You know, it's a little bit more acceptable for T to get the chance. I don't want to hear any Muth chants in Cincinnati anymore. But that's what was going on pretty much all day because he was dominating the Bengals. Steelers had second and two at the Bengals 15. They threw a pass to Deontay Johnson in the back of the end zone, he was being covered by Bengals rookie number 20, DJ Turner. When they went to the ground, you saw the ball fly out. 
the camera from the TV perspective, the players had their back to the camera. So you just saw them hit the ground and the ball fly out. And in recent years, we've all kind of been conditioned to react to know, okay, the receiver has to survive the ground with the ball in his hands to be a completed catch. The, the famous one was the Calvin Johnson rule where it looked like he caught the ball for a touchdown, but when he fell on the ground, the ball slipped out of his hands. They called it incomplete. So it's a, a controversy, but they try to make it like if you hit the ground and the ball pops out, it's an incomplete pass. When they went back, so the Steelers didn't challenge that play. They just accepted it. After the game, Mike Tomlin said that in the moment, he didn't get a good look at it live on the field. Some people got in the way, and in the stadium, they didn't really show a good replay of it. The Bengals obviously don't want to show a replay of the Steelers' touchdown, so he couldn't see exactly what happened. What they said later, CBS brought Gene Steratore on, and he was saying that it looked like Deontay Johnson had three steps before the catch, which would have made it a Steelers touchdown, not an incomplete pass. Very fortunate for the Bengals because what happened was instead of a Steelers touchdown, on the very next play, the Steelers tried to run. It looked like Jalen Warren, number 30 for the Steelers, was going to get tackled. Then all of a sudden the ball pops out, and it was a lot of players were kind of standing around, like not exactly knowing what was going on. One of the Bengals picks it up, DJ Turner, the the guy who just made the play in the end zone, he picks it up, and we know he's fast. He can get out the gate and score for a touchdown, but he gets tackled by one of the tight ends, Little Hayward for the Steelers. He couldn't get that far. But on the replay, we can see Zach Carter, number 95 for the Bengals. He was kind of getting blocked, and he was already like on the ground, but he just kind of poked his head up, saw that the ball carrier was right in front of him, and punched his hand out at the ball. He was like, Zach Carter was on his knees already, and just had enough time to punch the ball out right as Warren was falling to the ground, but not having any knees on the ground. So he wasn't down yet. It was like just, you know, inches away from being down, but Zach Carter got the fumble. And then they showed Deontay Johnson, the wide receiver, who had just had the incomplete pass in the end zone. On the play, he just stood there. A lot of people were showing this on Twitter. Deontay Johnson was just standing there, not moving at all when the ball was snapped, just kind of turned his back away. Even when the ball was fumbled, he didn't go for the ball, didn't try to make a tackle at all, didn't even run. Like, he just stood there the entire time. So that's a good way to get benched in the NFL. I know Deontay Johnson is a very talented player, but if he wants to continue playing in games and not getting traded or cut, he should probably try harder because Mike Tomlin is not going to tolerate that kind of stuff. I'm glad he's not on the Bengals, though. You know, That's the one thing that I'll say about Zach Taylor is you don't have too many guys who would – put out like no effort in a game like that and just be completely embarrassing and not show any kind of accountability afterwards. There are also some rumors going around about Deontay Johnson, like fighting with his teammates, Mika Fitzpatrick and some of the coaches. So it sounds like Deontay Johnson might just be a pain in the ass in general. And I'm glad that the Bengals don't seem to have any players like that on the team. I would prefer that they have players who were good and who could help them win. I don't want them to lose games, but have Mr. Nice Guy all over the place. But you don't want to have a bunch of a-holes on the team either. Even though they gave up yards, it was the bend but don't break. They forced the turnover in the red zone, denied points. Huge moment in the game. Gave the ball back to the offense. And first play, Jake Browning completes an 11-yard pass over the middle to Jamar Chase. Pretty tight coverage. Jamar Chase did a good job of out-muscling the defender and getting in front of the ball before the free safety could come down and make a hit on Jamar. After the first quarter of the game, we would see the Steelers' free safeties kind of timing up Jake Browning's passes a little bit better, figuring out when to start jumping the routes. Initially, you know, they're kind of a little bit slow. Maybe they're not used to his timing on throws and stuff like that. But once they got a feel for Jake Browning and when he was going to release the ball, started seeing the defenders for the Steelers make a lot more contested plays and tipping the passes. But this is a good completion. Unfortunately, this drive kind of stalled out. They got to a third and five after a couple of short runs by Joe Mixon. Again, where just totally ineffective, two yards, three yards, where Cody Ford, extra offensive lineman, is in the game, and they still can't get more than two yards. Like, you know, the, the plan obviously was to run, and they just couldn't do it. They got to third and five. It's third and manageable, but Tyler Boyd, the veteran receiver, gets a false start penalty. It looks like it was close. T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith, the Steelers' defensive ends, looked like they were offside, but Tyler Boyd flinched at the same time. 
They called false start on the Bengals. That made it third and ten. They completed a six-yard pass to Irv Smith, but well short of a first down. They had to punt it away. Just this kind of play call, like, it's already third and ten, and Jake Browning took a really deep drop. So he's like 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage by the time he throws this pass. It's obvious. It's, it's almost like a screen to Irv Smith out into the left flat. All the receivers are just kind of running clear-out routes. I guess they think Irv Smith might be able to break a tackle and make a play on these guys, but the Steelers, they tackle Irv Smith in open space without any problems. I don't, you know, the Bengals don't have the kind of playmakers outside of Jamar Chase who can just single-handedly break a bunch of tackles and get first downs on their own. They need some better schemes, some better throws. <laughs> I don't know. But Bengals didn't end up doing anything. They punted the ball away. Steelers took over for their third drive. Still 0-0. Steelers' first play of the drive. Najee Harris, the Steelers running back. It looks like the Bengals have him stop for a short gain. Then all of a sudden, he's still standing. They don't blow the whistle. Guys are still moving. All of a sudden, Najee Harris busts out of this pile of guys. Gains 20 more yards. It's like the Bengals didn't have him wrapped up, didn't tackle him. Nobody like really committed to tackling him. Or I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, 20-yard gain out of nowhere. Later in the drive, Steelers complete a 39-yard pass deep down the right sideline to Deontay Johnson over DJ Turner. Good pass by Kenny Pickett. We did see some good passes. A few misses out of Kenny Pickett, but overall he was pretty accurate throwing the ball deep down the field, 20-plus yards. But again, Bengals defense does a pretty good job of stopping the Steelers, forcing some incomplete passes and no gains on short runs, force a field goal from Chris Boswell from 41 yards. Steelers go up 3-0. to zero. And at this point, there's about 13 minutes left to go in the second quarter. Bengals receive the kickoff, and one of the big plays of the game was Travion Williams, the running back. He returned the kickoff 46 yards to the Bengals' 47-yard line. That doesn't go down in the total yards for the team's statistics, but that's a big play. Totally changes the field position for the Bengals. Instead of taking over at their 20 or 25-yard line at, like a touchback would, they get it all the way close to midfield. So that's a couple extra first downs that the Bengals' offense didn't have to get. That was helpful because they ended up scoring a touchdown in this drive. They completed a short pass to Tanner Hudson, who remains the top receiving tight end option for the Bengals. But then they had a pass over the middle, it got tipped at the line of scrimmage. One of the linebackers or nickel cornerbacks jumped up in front of the ball, tipped it, but Jamar Chase, who was the intended receiver, ended up catching the deflection. It got popped up in the air. You're thinking, oh, no, here comes an interception. But Jamar Chase was luckily right there to catch it and run. He outran a lot of defenders around the right sideline to pick up 31 yards on a play. Unfortunately, this was one of... Jake Browning's best pass plays of the entire game was a pass that got tipped and just happened to fortunately land in the arms of Jamar Chase. He had another pass like this. It was a little bit shorter, but the Bengals' offense was a lot of times predicated on luck. But on this, I will give them credit. They utilized the Drew Sample out of the backfield when nobody's expecting a play. They got a second and five on the Pittsburgh 11. Swing pass to Drew Sample they had Mitch Wilcox blocking out in front, and unfortunately for Mitch Wilcox, Drew Sample, he didn't even try to make any moves or, like, juke out of the way. He just ran right into the back of his own teammate and straight into the end zone. So it's like, I mean, whatever you got to do to get in there and score a touchdown, go ahead, Drew Sample. But it's just, like, one of the ugliest-looking touchdowns you'll ever see. Just, like, a guy catching it and then just running straight into the back of his own teammate <laughs> for the end zone. Like, oh, God, that's not how it's supposed to happen, but... Hey, Bengals made the extra point. They go up 7-3. to Bengals have the lead in this game. It's unbelievable. You're thinking the Steelers are moving the ball. Uh, the Steelers had 149 yards of offense in the first quarter. They were on pace for 600 yards of total offense, but they had zero points. And at this point, they only had a field goal. So, you know, Bengals defense, Ben, but don't break. They're keeping them in the game and actually have the lead at this game. After the Bengals' touchdown, Steelers take over at their own 25-yard line with 10 and a half minutes left to go in the second quarter. They get one first down, a couple of short runs, and then an incomplete pass where Kenny Pickett threw the ball to the flat where he thought maybe Deontay Johnson was supposed to be, but Deontay Johnson was standing there wide open. Ball went way out. It was like a miscommunication. It, honestly, it looked like Kenny Pickett was scared of the blitz in his face and threw the ball too quick. He also had Pat Fryermuth, his tight end, standing wide open on the right. Didn't see him. 
Frymuth was standing there, like, waving his hands at him. But Kenny Pickett, a couple times in this game, the Bengals did a good job of getting pressure in his face with blitzes from Dax Hill, Miles Murphy in this game. Finally, he started to bring a little bit more pressure than we had seen all season. Miles Murphy had a sack, pressure. Trey Hendrickson also had one sack. Not a lot from Trey Hendrickson in the running game, but honestly, that never was Trey Hendrickson's biggest thing in the past. But speaking of the defensive line, Sam Hubbard also returned for this game. We didn't see T. Higgins on the offensive side of the ball, but we did see Sam Hubbard. And I forgot to mention, Cam Taylor Britt was also not playing for this game. He was inactive. That meant Cheeto and DJ Turner were the two cornerbacks. But anyway, the Steelers didn't complete the pass. Kenny Pickett was off a little bit in this first half. The Steelers ended up having to punt. It was another touchback, fortunately, for the Bengals. So they were able to take over from their own 20-yard line. But at this point, since the Bengals had just scored the touchdown, they have the lead, like I mentioned in a previous podcast, a four-point lead to Zach Taylor is might as well be a million points. He, you know, If he's in a winning position, that means to him, it's like they've already won the game. If they can just grind the clock out all the way and don't let the other team score any points somehow, they'll win the game. They've scored enough points as long as they're in the lead right now. So Zach Taylor takes a very conservative approach with this next drive, starting in their own deep in their own territory. They don't have the fortunate you know, kick return this time. So they take over their own 20. They got a short run from Joe Mixon. Jake Browning completes a one-yard pass to Mitch Wilcox, where T.J. Watt was blanketed all over Mitch Wilcox. You know, it's these type of plays where I just really wonder, like, that seemed like it was the plan. That was the design, was to throw it to Mitch Wilcox for a one-yard gain. Or I don't know, maybe, you know, obviously... They don't want a one-yard gain. They would tell me the ball was supposed to go somewhere else, but everybody else was like double covered. There was nowhere else to go, so I don't know what they expected to happen. Anyway, this is the type of wasted play they do a lot, though. Just plays that go for one or two yards. It was like, what was the point of that? You might as well do nothing. But anyway, next play, they get third and five. It's like, okay, here's the money down. Jake Browning has to make something happen, make a play. He rolls out to his left. He gets away from the blitz. And he's rolling, he's rolling, he's rolling. It's like, okay, you know, if you don't see anybody open, throw the ball away. Throw the ball away. Throw it away. Oh, he got sacked. Oh, it was a nine-yard sack. It was completely ridiculous. He saw the guy come in from like 15 yards away. The guy wasn't guarding anybody on the Steelers. Nick Herbig, the linebacker for the Steelers, saw Jake Browning out in the middle of the open field. He's rolling out. He's like, oh, okay, I'm going to go up and sack this guy. Jake Browning sees him. Doesn't, like, react. I don't know what was going on inside Jake Browning's mind. The weirdest part was, right before he got sacked, he flipped his hips like he was about to throw it. But, like, there was nobody to throw to. He needed to just throw the ball away. Like I said, there's, you know, I don't know. He could say, like, this is his first start in the NFL. He didn't know you're supposed to throw the ball away. But, like, you've been playing quarterback your entire life. If you've been watching the game at all, you know in that situation, you can't take a nine-yard sack. You have to throw the ball away. It was ridiculous. So these are the type of plays where I'm really questioning how long are we going to be able to play with Jake Browning? Because he can't be taking hits like that. This was a monster hit. Like he got like driven, smashed into the ground. And there were a couple times where like he just didn't see the blitz coming. There was once he got super lucky where the blitz was coming wide from his right side, his open side where he was, should be looking. The guy came blitzing totally untouched. Jake Browning doesn't see him. Almost gets hit, but like miraculously, the guy missed him. So Jake Browning rolled out and threw a, a complete pass to Trenton Irwin. Maybe on this play, Jake Browning was thinking, okay, like in the preseason, this was the ex- almost the exact type of play he threw an interception on. So he was like, okay, I better not throw an interception on this play like I did last time. So, but he should have thrown it somewhere. Like, just oh, a sack. Uh, it was ridiculous. But it was around this point in the game where an ugly kind of game, an ugly kind of day got even... More ugly and confusing, the clocks in Paycor Stadium, like the time clocks to show how much time is left in the second quarter, started malfunctioning. They were not showing, they weren't synced up. Basically. Apparently, there were like five seconds difference between one clock to the other clock, and they were malfunctioning, not showing the correct times. They tried a couple of times to get the people in the stadium to figure it out, but eventually the referee just gave up. He was like, okay, the clocks are malfunctioning. Please turn the clocks off and we will keep the time on the field. So there was a good couple of drives here in the second quarter where the CBS broadcast didn't show what time it was. They were just kind of guessing like what time, how much time was left 
and they were calling it out like I guess they were keeping it on a stopwatch in the in the booth or whatever. That's how they're doing it on the field, which is a weird moment. And it's like, you know, you'd think they've had that kind of stuff figured out or some kind of a reset they could do on the clock real quick. They did get it going at the two minute warning in the second quarter. So it didn't take too long, but it was about 10 minutes or 15 minutes of real time where the clocks were malfunctioning, which is kind of weird. But both teams just traded a couple punts back and forth. Nobody scored any more points. Nothing really interesting happened. You go to halftime, Bengals up seven to three, and the Bengals are going to receive the kickoff to start the second half. So you're feeling pretty good as a Bengals fan going into halftime. Bengals have the lead and they get the ball to start the second half. Not bad. We'll take it. You know, even though at this moment the Steelers were outgaining the Bengals on offense more than two to one, they had like 200 and some to the Bengals 100. But either way, you know, the scoreboard is the only thing that matters at the end of the day. It was still seven to three. Bengals are looking good at that point. But you still feel like, okay, you can't win most NFL games scoring seven points. You're going to need more points than that to win. And obviously they did. But I'd say if you were in the Bengals locker room at halftime, there were some things to be encouraged by. Jamar Chase, yeah, his biggest play was that kind of lucky tip pass they caught for 31 yards. You know, they had the lead, they're getting the ball back, and they hadn't committed a big turnover. They hadn't committed a killer mistake like a pick six or a fumble or turnover, any any kind of turnover. They had not They had a fumble, but Jonah Williams was right there to scoop it up. And Zach Carter, the defensive tackle for the Bengals, forced a fumble that DJ Turner was able to pick up. So Bengals were winning the turnover battle at halftime, winning the scoreboard battle. I, I can't say I felt optimistic, honestly, because like I said, they were getting outgained. So it, it felt like the Steelers were inevitably going to score more points and the Bengals were going to need to make something happen in the second half. They knew that. I think everybody expected that to happen. When the Bengals came out to start the second half, they hit a couple plays that I don't know if they've been saving them up or maybe they just found some things at halftime that they felt like they could exploit. The Bengals were able to move the ball on the opening drive of the second half by completing a pass to Andre Yosivash, the wide receiver out of Princeton. Kind of a little bit of a pick or a rub play where he got open over the middle, caught the ball, ran it for a 16-yard gain. It was also on this drive where we saw Jake Browning had the Bengals' longest run of the game six-yard scramble to the left, kind of a design quarterback keeper. So maybe the coaches, you know, they saw a couple things coming out in this second half that they wanted to try, made a little progress. Jamar Chase caught a pass from Jake Browning, 25 yards down the right sideline. Joey Porter Jr., the rookie cornerback, was guarding Jamar Chase. Chase went up over Porter, made the catch. Good pass by Browning. Good ball position along the right sidelines where the safety couldn't come over and try to make a play on it. We saw the Bengals maybe going after Joey Porter Jr. a little bit more than Patrick Peterson. You know, Patrick Peterson's a Hall of Fame cornerback. Joey Porter Jr. is a rookie just getting started in the NFL. So if I were the Bengals coaches, if, you know, Jake Browning is making his first start as a quarterback in the NFL, if you have a choice between throwing at a Hall of Fame cornerback in Patrick Peterson or throwing at a rookie in Joey Porter. I would obviously pick the rookie. I don't care if it is Joey Porter Jr. It looked like maybe the Bengals were going to get a little bit of something going. They were in the red zone after that 25-yard pass to Chase. They had it on the Steelers 20. Short pass to Irv Smith Jr. Only got two yards. But right after this pass, Jake Browning, he kind of threw like a three-quarter angle with his arm they're talking about, oh, Jake Browning's got these new arm angles that he's breaking out now and talking about how he did all this training in the offseason. They were really like, oh, like Jake Browning completed like a couple passes in a row. They were really like, oh, let's bust out the Jake Browning material. Obviously, the announcers jinx right after the, like in mid-sentence where they're going on about Jake Browning. He throws a horrible interception that gets picked off by the Steelers. Number 17, Trenton Thompson. Jake Browning, after the game, said he just misread the coverage. Pre-snap, it looked like it was going to be cover three, but so let me back up. So Jamar Chase was spread out wide to the left. He had a cornerback playing way off of him, very soft. Jake Browning said that he assumed it was cover three and that Jamar Chase was going to have a lot of cushion so he could just complete an easy pass to Jamar. He's like, you know, we're already at the 20-yard line. We've got points. It's third and long. I think it was third and seven or third and six at that point. So third and long. 
He wanted to try to get the ball to Jamar, but not do anything downfield that would, you know, put the ball up for grabs to like a safety or something. So he thought this was going to be the safer play. What he didn't realize was, like the Steelers had been doing a lot of the day, shifting their coverage at the snap. So they'd show one thing and disguise it and then play another coverage. Like every team does in the NFL. This is maybe because Jake Browning hasn't been playing every game. He's not used to this kind of thing. But every NFL team does this. They'll show you one thing before the snap and then play a different coverage because they know that you're running your plays based off what they think your defense is going to be. So you got to try to trick the offense into thinking that you're going to play one defense play another. That's exactly what the Steelers did. They had their corn, nickel cornerback who was playing kind of inside. He just buzz, they call it buzz out to the flat. So he's reading the quarterback's eyes, standing there in his zone, and he's widening out to the sidelines. The, his widening naturally took him right to the football, right where Jake Browning threw the ball. Easy interception. It was lucky that it wasn't returned for a pick six. Jamar Chase made a good play to tackle Trenton Thompson and prevent a touchdown because if he didn't make the tackle right there could have been an easy walk-in touchdown for the Steelers nobody for the Bengals was going to have any kind of a chance to make a tackle on that play so a great play by Jamar Chase just to prevent a touchdown unfortunately Jamar Chase's efforts were kind of just delaying the inevitable because right after that the Steelers took over at their own 21 yard line they went on a 15 play 79-yard drive They took almost eight minutes off the clock in the third quarter. Steelers did a pretty good job of mixing both runs and passes. They weren't totally one-dimensional like the Bengals tend to be. They were able to run the ball effectively with Najee Harris and Jalen Warren, and they involved their tight end, their wide receivers. George Pickens caught some passes. Pat Fryermuth caught some passes. Miles Murphy, the Bengals' rookie defensive end, did end up getting a sack. I think he was in for Trey Hendrickson. They were kind of using Miles Murphy on both sides, which was interesting. Normally, they had Miles Murphy subbing in for Sam Hubbard, but since Sam Hubbard was back and active for this game, Miles Murphy was kind of subbing in for both of them, which is good. You want to have versatility for Miles Murphy. And, you know, Trey Hendrickson, he's always on the right side. Sam Hubbard's on, always on the left. If Miles Murphy could play both sides and play them effectively, that would really be, you know, he's, I'm not going to say like Miles Garrett, we could just move him all around, but that's just going to make Miles Murphy that much more versatile and dangerous in the years coming forward. And I think kind of like how Nick Scott was replaced by Jordan Battle, and that continued in this game. Jordan Battle played the starter reps. He got about 80% of the reps in, compared to Nick Scott's 20% at safety. So even when Nick Scott was in the game, he wasn't making good plays either. So we're going to see more Jordan Battle, and we're probably going to see more Miles Murphy at the substitute defensive end instead of Joseph Osai and maybe even Cam Sample. Cam Sample's been around for a couple years. He's made a, a few plays here and there, but I think they want to give Miles Murphy the opportunity because he was the first round draft pick. Steelers had first and goal at the Bengals' five yard line. They're in a sweep around the left with Najee Harris, goes in for the touchdown with the flag down on the play. It looks like number 80, the rookie Darnell Washington for the Steelers. Huge, like six foot eight, two hundred and seventy-five pound tight end. He is called for holding on Jermaine Pratt, the Bengals linebacker, number fifty-seven. Looks like Washington has his left arm wrapped around the back of Pratt, and he's grabbing some jersey. They call a hold, but they pick it up. They say, actually, no flag on the play. Touchdown stands is called, and obviously, all the Bengals fans are losing their minds in the stadium, on social media, everywhere. Oh my God, how could they pick up a flag? It should have been a hold, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, there's holding on every play. Like, every play has holding. You can call it or not call it. It's kind of a subjective play. I would probably say in this situation, if you look at both angles, Jermaine Pratt was also holding the Steelers player. They were both kind of holding each other. It's kind of like a dual hug. They were just kind of in space hugging each other. Neither one was really moving or letting the other one go. You could say it was holding on both of them or neither one. So I think they opted just for a, we're not going to call holding on either one of these guys because they were both kind of holding each other. Touchdown counts. Steelers take the lead at this point, 10 to 7. Bengals are down by three. They've got plenty of time to come back, but they need to get some points. Bengals respond, not ideally. They have an ugly drive. Eight plays, 22 yards, which 
marred by a lot of penalties. They had a holding penalty on Irv Smith Jr. on one of these. They completed a pass on second and 16 for 14 yards, which is another one that was tipped across the middle. Should have been intercepted, but miraculously landed in Jamar Chase's hands. He ended up getting 14 of those yards back. Then they get another 10-yard penalty on third and two, where they try to do a wide receiver screen, but Tanner Hudson gets called for offensive pass interference. He's blocking before the catch. I don't know, bad design. You have to know the rules and coach up the players better about when to block or what not to do. But anyway, the Bengals get penalty, and then they take another six-yard sack to move him back even further. Ended up punting again, so nothing on that drive. Just kind of a disaster drive to end this third quarter for the Bengals. They punt the ball away. Brad Robbins gets off a 41-yard punt to the Steelers, 32. Steelers get called for holding, moves them back another 10 yards. But again, Brad Robbins, 41-yard. I think his long punt of the day was 44 yards. Not a lot of boomers out of Brad Robbins. Taking a bit of a step back. Maybe it's the cold weather, you know, keeping the ball down about 41 yards. He does get the hang time most of the time. A lot of huge returns for Brad Robbins, but he's not... Exactly got the biggest leg in the NFL. Steelers take over for their drive, and they actually get a similar penalty of offensive pass interference that moves them back to a first and 20. The Steelers pick up a few yards back to get it to a third and eight. So third and long, Bengals defense, you feel like that should be a pretty good situation for them. Unfortunately, Kenny Pickett goes back and throws it up deep. I'm like, whoa, what? Throwing it deep on third and eight? Well, they had George Pickens in the slot on Mike Hilton, one-on-one in man coverage. So that is not, I mean, George Pickens is what, like 6'3", 6'4", Mike Hilton's like 5'9", not the fastest guy. So it was an easy completion. They had missed previously on a pass to George Pickens on the left sideline, just out of his reach. And he had gone out of the game with, it looked like he just got the wind knocked out of him for a few plays, but he came back in. He was obviously fine on this play. Completed a 43-yard pass Picks up the first down. This led to a Steelers field goal. They didn't get it in the end zone. So a decent job, again, by the Bengals defense. Preventing touchdowns. But that increases the Steelers' lead to 13-7 with eight minutes left to go in the game. So still totally within reach. It's a one-score game. If they score a touchdown here, which they've already done once in the game, they can totally take the lead back. 13-7, score a touchdown, it's 14-7. No problem. Right, Jake Browning? Well, the Bengals get the ball back, and after five plays, they punt it. And it wasn't even just the way that they had to punt the ball back. They get the ball back. All right, it's eight minutes left to go. They complete three-yard pass, Tanner Hudson. Okay, that's not going to really do anything. Four-yard pass, Tanner Hudson over the middle. Okay, cool. Third and three, they have Drew Sample at the right tight end, standing right next to Jonah Williams. And as he always is, T.J. Watt is standing lined up on that left defensive end spot. Third and three, you need a first down. Nobody blocks T.J. Watt at all. Drew Sample, I don't know if this is when the drugs kicked in from halftime with him or something, but like he completely lost his mind, and instead of blocking T.J. Watt, he like turned all of his attention to this defensive back who was coming down late looking like he was going to blitz to the inside. So Drew Sample goes to the inside, lets TJ Watt go around him to the outside. Jonah Williams is to Drew Sample's inside. He can't turn and block TJ Watt. They give a free path to TJ Watt straight into Jake Browning's chest. Jake Browning was honestly lucky that he didn't fumble the ball again on this sack, you know, in the first drive of the game, TJ Watt, strip sack. This time, Jake Browning does a good job just to hold on. You could see Watt was like ripping at the ball with his hands. He was trying to get it out. Luckily, Jake Browning just held on for dear life and gave the Bengals just the opportunity to punt the ball away on fourth and 12. Obviously, they couldn't go for it on fourth and 12 because there's six minutes left in the game and they're on their own 23-yard line. It's just just after they gave up a sack untouched on third and three, it's hard to believe you're going to come back on fourth and 12 and convert it. Bengals give the ball back to the Steelers with six minutes left to go, still down by six. So at this point, the Bengals defense 
needs to stop, needs to get a turnover, something to get the ball back to the offense so they can score again. Unfortunately for the Bengals, they gave up some big plays pretty much at the worst times. They gave up a 22-yard run to Najee Harris, another Najee Harris run for 13 yards right after that where you're thinking, where is the Bengals linebackers? Like there's these, these gaping holes in the lines of the scrimmage. Najee Harris is picking up basically like 35 yards in two carries when we need a stop. It's kind of demoralizing. The Steelers, they complete another 11-yard pass to Allen Robinson. Drive kind of stalls out. They obviously don't want to get too risky, so they settle for a field goal at the Bengals' 15-yard line. That makes it 16-7. to Bengals down by 9 with 3 minutes left to go in the game. Obviously not ideal. 3 minutes, you have to score twice. Not going to be a very likely outcome, but the Bengals do their best. You know, after the kickoff, the Bengals take over. Maybe the Steelers were playing a little bit too soft in their coverage. Bengals complete a pass out to the short flat to Joe Mixon out of the backfield. He's able to break a tackle on Larry Ogunjobi. Gets free in the open field. Nobody from the Steelers really seems that interested in tackling Joe Mixon for a while. He gets 39 yards all the way down to the Steelers' 36-yard line on the first play. So they're down by 9 points, but they got 39 yards on the first play play say okay you know even though this is highly unlikely at least it seems somewhat possible at the end Bengals end up getting a field goal they had two incomplete passes couldn't get anything going to get a touchdown so they decided to settle for a field goal right before the two minute warning they didn't have a lot of timeouts but they're trying to conserve as much time as they could to give themselves a chance it's not like this is a totally chip shot easy field goal for McPherson 47 yard field goal in the rain good so that puts the Bengals within reach 10 to 16 that would be the final score because they weren't able to get the onside kick Bengals tried the onside kick after their field goal don't end up converting it and the Steelers are able to just take a knee run the clock out to win the game 16 to 10. after the game just looking at the stat lines for this game is even though the score was close the box score and the stats were just completely ridiculous lopsided in favor of the Steelers. Steelers outgained the Bengals by 200 yards, basically. Steelers had 421 to the Bengals 222. Steelers outgained the Bengals by 199 yards. They were tied for turnovers. The Bengals were able to force that fumble in the red zone, but Jake Browning threw his own red zone interception. So even in the turnovers, but first downs, Steelers had 22 first downs, Bengals had 10. Time of possession, Steelers had the ball for 37 and a half minutes. Bengals had it for 22 and a half minutes. Basically, the Steelers had the ball 15 minutes longer than the Bengals, or an entire quarter of football, the Steelers had it longer than the Bengals. And if you look at the way that they got their first downs, Steelers had 15 passing, six rushing first downs, one off penalty. Bengals had nine passing first downs, one penalty, but no rushing first downs at all in the entire game very interesting also if we look at total plays Steelers ran 68 plays in the game compared to the Bengals 41 plays in the whole game 41 plays and Zach Taylor would say well you know we couldn't get a lot going there couldn't get any momentum that's why we couldn't run that's why we couldn't get anything that's why we couldn't run those plays we couldn't we only ran 40 plays how are you supposed to run it you know, they threw the ball like 30 times, though, even though they have 26 attempts. They also had four sacks where they didn't get the ball off. 30 times they were trying to pass it. Only, you know, 10 or so running plays. That's three passes to every one run. It's just completely unbalanced. There's no way, like I said, going into this game, there's no way that Jake Browning should be throwing the ball 30 times in the rain against the Steelers in his first NFL start. There's just no way... 30 throws in Jake Browning's first game as a starter in the NFL. It's just way too many. Joe Mixon only gets eight carries in the entire game and only three carries in the second half. Joe Mixon in the second half, three carries for three yards. Obviously not very very efficient, but what do you want him to do when he only gets three opportunities with it? I know it's a catch-22 because if it's not effective, do you keep running the ball? But you have to. Like 25 yards of rushing, for the entire game, it's just not going to get anything done in the NFL. You can't you can't be one-dimensional like that. Teams are just going to know that 
you can't run, so they're going to defend the pass and get sacks in passing downs when they know that you have to throw. Bengals were not able to convert third downs very well either, where Steelers were able to convert almost 50%, 8 of 17 on third downs. Bengals were only 2 for 10. They were throwing on every third down like Zach Taylor. They asked him, why weren't you running at all? He's like, well, you know, a lot of those were third and long and two-minute drill where we got to throw. Like he just running the ball is out of Zach Taylor's mind in those certain situations. Third down, nope, got to pass. You think other teams don't figure this out and know the book on Zach Taylor? They're like, oh, third down, they're going to pass. <sighs> At some point, the Bengals need to figure out some kind of a running game. Maybe, you know, they got a running game coordinator in Frank Pollock. He's supposed to be the offensive line coach slash run coordinator. Part of this maybe needs to be his responsibility. Make him take some accountability or get somebody else in there who knows what the F they're doing. From an individual standpoint, Kenny Pickett played better than Jake Browning. No, I mean, I wasn't overly impressed with Kenny Pickett. He made a few good throws, but I think if you get some pressure in Kenny Pickett's face, he kind of gets flustered more than a pro quarterback should be. I think Charles Davis mentioned there was one pass where Kenny Pickett kind of rushed the throw to George Pickens, missed it where he was like, you know, there was a little bit of pressure, but for an NFL quarterback, that shouldn't be enough pressure to affect the throw that much. Kenny Pickett, you know, he's kind of a young guy, but he needs to handle the pressure a little bit better. I, I would expect to see more teams blitzing Kenny Pickett going forward because he doesn't handle that very well. Doesn't. Jake Browning, on the other hand, he doesn't handle pressure at all. He got sacked four times, fumbled only once, but he also had an interception. 19 for 26, 227 yards, but he completed one pass to Jamar Chase on the deep sideline, but most of his passes were accidental. Like the long pass he completed were a tip to Jamar Chase, it went for like 39 yards. That wasn't really on purpose. And then, you know, he threw a swing pass to Joe Mixon at the end of the game that picked up 39 yards. And when you kind of in the sacks, he only had 197 to take out like 80 yards. I would say Jake Browning probably had like 120 yards of real passing offense in this game. That's not going to get it done considering 120 yards plus 25 yards of rushing. We They honestly probably would have like 150 yards of Real offense in this game, definitely not going to get it done. We did see some promising signs out of the Bengals' young defenders, the draft picks like Miles Murphy, DJ Turner. He got beat a couple times. It looks like DJ Turner, you know, he's going to have to work on locating the ball in the air to be able to make a play on it. But we know he's got the speed, so if he can kind of work on the ball skills, getting his head around, we'll have to, you know, hopefully Cam Taylor Britt is able to make a comeback so it's not all on DJ Turner, the rookie. But he made some good plays. Jordan Battle, eight tackles, three solo. He came up and made some good tackles on Najee Harris. I didn't see him giving up too much in the passing game either. The fact that Jamar Chase only had six targets, four receptions for Jamar Chase on six targets, not enough. And again, Zach Taylor is going to say, well, we only ran 41 plays, can't give Jamar the ball on everyone. Okay, but like I said, I don't care how many plays you run, Jamar Chase has to touch the ball 10 times. If Jamar Chase touches the ball four times in the game, something has gone wrong, and the offensive coaches aren't doing their job. Bottom line, I don't care what they have to say, Jamar Chase touching the ball four times in a game, not acceptable. After the game, obviously, Zach Taylor was just overflowing with optimism, how he saw good stuff from everybody out there. Everything was looking great, even though they lost. Zach Taylor is just so optimistic about everything. And, you know, we'll just have to go back and watch the tape and see how it was. You know, tough to give you an answer right now. And then, obviously, Monday comes around. Well, Zach, you watched the tape. What did you see? Well, you know, I saw a lot of good things out there. Blah, blah, blah. Used car salesman pitch. Blah, blah, blah. It's just the same thing over and over with Zach Taylor. You never get a straight answer out of him. He never keeps it real. There's nothing insightful from Zach Taylor. Honestly, Jake Browning was more interesting in his postgame comments just because it was his first game he was kind of reflecting on how it went they were like you know how do you think you played in your first game he said he played okay but didn't feel like he played up to his standard which is hard to say we haven't really seen extended Jake Browning time so we'll have to see going forward what does he look like what is the standard for Jake Browning maybe this was the standard we don't know we'll have to find out along with Jake Browning but he's gonna have to find out because he hasn't played in the NFL so I'm sure to Jake Browning's mind like what he did in high school and college 
you know, he, where he was throwing like nine touchdowns a game. This wasn't up to those standards, but this is an NFL. So in Jake Browning's mind and everybody's mind, we're going to have to adjust. What is the Jake Browning standard? Before this game, when we didn't know what Jake Browning was, a lot of people were saying, well, in today's league, we got these backup quarterbacks coming in here, winning games all over the place. They were saying, oh, Jake Browning could be the next Gardner Minshew. He could be the next Josh Dobbs. Even Tommy DeVito is winning games for the New York Giants. That could be true. I mean, you know, everybody was all excited about Brock Purdy last year taking the 49ers to the playoffs, and he came out of nowhere as the last pick in the draft to lead them almost to the Super Bowl. So it's not impossible for Jake Browning to come in and turn this thing around. But if we look at the record of Zach Taylor and his coaching staff with and without Joe Burrow, as I mentioned in many previous podcasts, Zach Taylor coming into the season had a losing record. He, since they have a losing record now, they still have a losing record. But not only that, without Joe Burrow as Zach Taylor's starting quarterback, Zach Taylor's record drops precipitously to four wins, 28 losses, and one tie. That would be one of the worst all-time coaching records in NFL history, and he wouldn't still have a job right now, you wouldn't think. But just really goes to show, we're going to have to see, this is going to be a real evaluation of Zach Taylor. Not that it's going to mean anything, because nothing is going to happen. Like I said, even if they lose every game, nobody's getting fired, no changes are going to be made, they're just going to come up with the same excuses every week about how everybody's making progress or how they're playing a really good opponent. That's the other thing. Zach Taylor, oh, the AFC North is so good. We're, every time we play one of these teams, we're playing one of the best defenses in the NFL. He's like, oh, this is not fair. We have to play these defenses every week, you guys. Why can't we be in a different league? Yeah, Zach Taylor, that's the NFL. You have to play tough defenses every week. That's what happens, okay? So don't come crying to me complaining about, oh, these guys are too tough. So what? Win a game. It's not going to happen, though, because Zach Taylor is just going to hang around, keep collecting paychecks, win or lose until 2026. Bengals organization is all about loyalty, loyalty this, up and down. You know what the Bengals organization is also all about? Nepotism. Zach Taylor is a great product of nepotism, and all the Bengals executives are all just Paul Brown's Children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, all products of nepotism. They all went to Ivy League schools and they had an internship at some corporate company for a few years. They want to tell themselves that they have what it takes to succeed in corporate America, but they just found this calling that they really wanted to contribute to the family business. It's not that they couldn't make it in corporate America and they want to take the easy way out and just work for this family business that brings in millions and millions of dollars without them really having to do that much work. No, that couldn't be it. Just all the excuses in the coach speak, I get so sick of it. So it's kind of nice to hear Jamar Chase in the post-game interviews. You know, he, after a loss especially, is very salty. He doesn't like the losing. He's not afraid to admit that he doesn't like losing. So they ask him, you know, since you're not used to being in this situation, what are you going to do? And he was just kind of like, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go from here. They're asking him, well, what's going through your mind right now? He said, nothing. Nothing's going through my mind. You know, he probably was thinking a lot of things in that moment, but nothing he could share publicly with the press. But we're going to have to see how, you know, they always talk about we got the right guys in the locker room and they know they're going to respond the right way and not give up, blah, blah, blah. We're going to have to see. If you keep This is the third game that the Bengals have lost. If they keep losing games, the morale is going to get lower and lower every week. Guys aren't going to, you know, care as much as if they get eliminated from the playoff. What do they have to play for, really? They're just coming in, collect a paycheck and don't get hurt. Basically, so Zach Taylor is going to have to try to motivate these guys for what we don't know. Maybe you know, getting a, a next contract next season. But if I were some of these players, how motivated would I really be by Zach Taylor? Not that much. I think what they are assuming is a lot of these players are going to have enough character and motivation inside themselves that they won't have to bring it out of them. But I can't see Zach Taylor inspiring anybody or motivating a group of people to come together to do one thing. I think they all do it for Joe Burrow. They all do it for themselves. They all do it, you know, for self-pride. But Zach Taylor really has not that much influence in the direction of this team. I mean, unless he's like a weight dragging them down, he can be the downward direction on this team, if you want to say that. I saw somewhere on social media, somebody said, Zach Taylor is like, Joe Burrow is really expensive backpack. A lot of times it really feels like 
Joe Burrow has been carrying Zach Taylor and the rest of the team on his shoulders ever since he came into the league. We're going to have to see what the team does without Joe Burrow. Now, interestingly, Joe Burrow, they showed him on the sidelines. He had a little splint around his wrist, but he wasn't like really that active. Like he wasn't, you know, trying to call out plays or talk to Jake Browning on the sidelines. Whenever they showed Joe Burrow, he was mostly sitting on the bench, keeping warm, keeping dry. He had a earpiece in so he could hear all the plays, but he wasn't standing up. He wasn't like Aaron Rodgers, like out there trying to act like an assistant coach or anything. Joe Burrow was not interested in being a cheerleader in this game. He looked very like dour and sullen. He didn't really look like he enjoyed being on the sidelines watching a game. That's really not Joe Burrow's style. I think maybe, you know, it really kind of aided him. They couldn't be out there on the field helping his team. But we're not probably going to see a whole lot of Joe Burrow from here on out. He's not going to do any more interviews, no more press conferences from Joe Burrow. And I would expect the fan interest to really die out because of that. Joe Burrow was the big cash cow moneymaker for this franchise. He was the one bringing all the eyeballs in. So without Joe Burrow moving forward, I would expect the fan interest, the ticket sales, the you know the ratings on TV are just going to be down without Joe Burrow. That's not good for business. But I mean, like I said, I'm not in this podcast for money. I didn't have any listeners anyway. So, it's, you know, losing some listeners now is, <laughs> you know, you can't go down from zero. I was the only listener to begin with. I'm still going to listen to this show. So if you are still listening to this show, I really appreciate it. I know this type of season might not be for every fan. You know, a lot of fans are kind of fair weather fans. If their team is winning, they get all excited and jump on the bandwagon. Then if the team loses, they say, oh, I don't want to pay attention. They go do something else. Don't pay attention. I'm not going to be that type of a guy. I am I might be even more interested when things aren't going the team's way. Because in the NFL, that's how it goes. You can't be like college football and be on top every year. You win some, you lose some in the NFL. So you have to take the good and the bad, the winning seasons with the losing seasons, and evaluate and analyze it as it comes. This season might be a little bit more of a down year without Joe Burrow some of the other star players, but we still have to evaluate critically and see how this team is performing. But most importantly, just enjoy the games. Win or lose, we got to find some way to enjoy the games. It was hard watching Jake Browning out there taking those sacks like in slow motion and just like screaming at the top of my lungs, what are you doing? Drew Sample not blocking TJ Watt. Hard to really enjoy that type of a game. But you never know, there could be some kind of a crazy moment. Like, you know, the tip pass to Jamar Chase. Unexpected, big plays that probably shouldn't have worked, but they did somehow. Maybe we could get some kind of a game like that going forward. I wouldn't expect a whole lot of wins, but we'll have something to talk about. We'll be back next episode with the Week 13 preview, where the Bengals go to Jacksonville to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are leading the AFC South right now. So the Jags... This would have been a big matchup of Joe Burrow against Trevor Lawrence, the two-star number one overall picks in the draft. Unfortunately for ESPN, they're going to have Jake Browning against Trevor Lawrence. Not quite the headline matchup they were looking for, but I guess they can't flex, or maybe they just decided not to flex the Bengals. I don't know if it was too short a time, but they definitely don't want to have Jake Browning in prime time if the NFL could help it. But hey, sometimes stuff happens. You got to put Jake Browning on Monday Night Football. So we'll have to see how that goes. At least it's not a home game, not the game that I went to. Like At least it's an away game with Jake Browning in prime time. That would suck for Jacksonville Jaguars fans. Before I go, don't forget to subscribe, turn on ratings, notifications, all that kind of stuff. Leave a comment. Let me know what you think about this show. I'm always looking for ways to improve it and make it better for you, the listeners. So anything I can do to improve, let me know. Until next time, I'm going to leave you with a who day and stay hungry for more Bengal Bites.